you are a God who invites us to follow you again in this season of our lives. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'd like to add my uh, welcome to those of you who are visiting with this morning with us this morning. If you are new to Faith Covenant Church, one of the ways you can help us get to know you is to fill out one of these Connect cards, and you can turn it in after the service is over at our Welcome Center, and uh, one of our lovely and talented Welcome, this is going to be a rough morning, Welcome Center hosts would be happy to give you a nice little gift. It's just a a simple token of our way of saying thank you for coming out this morning, and uh, we'd love to know how we can get to know you better. So please don't hesitate to uh, take advantage of that gift and let us know about who you are. And and as always, hang out after the service is over. Don't rush off too quickly. Give us a chance to greet you, uh, share some coffee, and uh, just find out a little bit more about who you are and uh, where God is working in your life. As I said, we've been going through this series called Faith in Action, and uh, as we've been looking through the story of the Exodus, we've been examining how the journey of our lives, our spiritual walk with the Lord, uh, in this process, God sometimes brings us to uh, moments in our lives where, where difficult decisions need to be made. These crossroad moments where God invites us or asks us or maybe even commands us to choose to trust Him. And to follow him in a direction that maybe we weren't anticipating going, or maybe it's a little scary to go because it seems more uh, difficult or challenging than it's something we think we can handle. But what we learn is as we say yes to God, as we say yes to Jesus and we follow him where he leads, we discover that our faith is increased because we come to trust in him more. We come to rely on his power and his provision in our lives rather than our own strength and our own power. And as we say yes to God, it opens the doors to a whole new experience of his presence and his power at work in our lives, and we discover a greater sense of meaning and purpose and value to the life that he's given us to live. These are often times when God calls us to demonstrate our faith in him by putting our faith into action. Now, we've been following the story of the Exodus, and we recognize in the story this pattern of our own journey of life with God, and we, we've been following the people of Israel, and if you've been with us on the, on the journey so far, you know that, that they are now being led by a new generation of leadership in, in, in the leaders of Joshua and Caleb, and, and a new generation of the people of Israel have arrived back at the Jordan River and been invited to cross the river again into the promised land. And God has prepared them to get ready. He came to Joshua and said, in three days, you and this people are going to cross this river. So prepare yourselves. You're going to need to be strong. And you're going to need to be courageous because there are giants in the land. There are fortified cities to take. There are going to be challenges that you have to overcome. It's not going to be easy. And you're going to need strength and courage to survive. Like Moses, Joshua had sent spies into the land to to check it out, specifically to Jericho, because they knew that was going to be their their first big challenge once they crossed into the land. And we know from from last week that these spies were were, uh, preserved and and rescued by by none less than a prostitute named Rahab, whose, whose faith and trust in God allowed her to protect these spies and to allow them to escape uh, through a window in the wall and let down by a, a rope that, that the, the rope became a symbol not only of her own faith, but of a faith of a people who put their trust in God, even though maybe they didn't know God before. 
And, and if you've been with us on this journey again, we, we joined the people of Israel in, in saying to their leader, Joshua, and to our leader, Yeshua, uh, whatever you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. In order to do that, we recognize that like Rahab, who became a model of faith for you and for me, we also have to tie our hope to the red rope blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross, that it is his blood that gives us that anchor for our souls that allows us to stay in connection with God even when times get difficult. And last week, we were able to take segments of red rope and tie them together to create a rope of faith for our community as well. Crossing the Jordan, we learned, will, never, will, will always mean that we need to be willing to also cross the boundaries of relationship with people that are different from us. Whether it be reaching out to homeless people who are in need, or people who come from a different cultural background, or another country, or have a different skin color than us, God calls us as his people to be people of reconciliation and, and repentance, and where we build bonds of relationship where the world wants to seek to destroy and divide. And Joshua had commanded the people to prepare to cross the river. In three days, God is going to send us. And so they had prepared their things. They'd packed their bags. They'd moved right up to the edge of the river. They'd spied out the land. And today, as we continue the story, the moment of decision has arrived. We're going to pick up the story in Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to read excerpts from the story because it's a, a little long to read the whole thing. But beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to be actually looking at chapters 3 and 4 today. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, okay, so they've been preparing for three days, right? After three days, now the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Now, I had to look up, you know, how long is a cubit again? And how far away did they have to stay? Well, a cubit is like from your elbow to the tip of your finger. So 15 to 18 inches is what they suspect. And so if you multiply that by 2,000 cubits. It was, it was about a half a mile to two-thirds of a mile. They had to stay away from this ark, right? Because if you touch it, it's not good. <laughs> so don't go near the ark. Just follow it. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will will do amazing things among you. And if you follow on in the story, we know that the the priests picked up the ark and they began to walk toward the river. And as they began to put their feet in the river, it says they they dipped their toes in the river. And as as their feet touched the river, God stopped the flow of the water. The waters backed up and the ground became dry. And the priests carried the ark down into the bottom of the river. And all the people of Israel, these some millions of people who had been camping in the desert, crossed over on dry ground. And then, and then he, he says this weird thing. He says, okay, now, once the people are through, I want you to not only just cross over, but I want you to collect something along the way. We're going to jump to chapter 4, verse 1. 
It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so, of course, Joshua commands 12 people to, to go in, and, and they had to pick up these stones from the bottom of the river where the priests were standing, and they carried them out, and they, they set them up in the camp where they stayed at Gilgal that night, and, and these are, are now 12 stones of remembrance. And then jumping to the end of chapter 4, verse 19, it tells us, On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones he had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israel, Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, this is, a, again, it's a, a story that we could probably spend a, a whole series just unpacking this story. Uh, there's so much going on, and it, it's such a, a pivotal point in the story of God's people. But, but I want to suggest for us this morning, there are three elements to this story that we can focus on that will help us to engage the story ourselves and maybe take away some things that we can apply to our own lives. Three elements of this story that stand out are, number one, the people of Israel, right? There's the people who are crossing this river. Number two, the, the Ark of the Covenant, this golden box that, you know, the people carried around on these poles that represent uh, the presence of God. And then these 12 stones of remembrance. And, and the people of Israel are important for us because they represent God's people. The Ark of the Covenant is important because it represents God's presence and the 12 stones of remembrance are important because they remind us of God's action. Ultimately, as we look at these elements of the story, what we have to recognize is from beginning to end, the story is all about God. God's people. What, what is it makes these people God's people? Well, first of all, we have to understand that it, God chose them from among all the peoples on the earth and that God called them. But, but secondly, they had to consecrate themselves to God. They had to say yes to God in order for them to truly become his people. It wasn't just God's choice. It was also their choice to say yes to God. Joshua told the people in verse 5, consecrate yourselves tomorrow for the Lord will do amazing things among you. If you look up consecrate in Webster's online, it says that to consecrate is something is to dedicate it for a sacred purpose. It's to devote something or someone to the worship of God by a solemn ceremony. It's to devote to a, a purpose with deep seriousness or true dedication. 
And, and I'd like to suggest for us this morning, as we see the story of the people of God, this first step before they even set foot into the waters of the river, Joshua said, you guys need to prepare your hearts for God. You need to set your hearts on God alone. You need to worship God as your God, as the true God, as the living God. And, and that heart motion is the first step in faith. Before you even move your feet, God wants us to move our heart towards him. Many of us, when we said yes to Jesus, to accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, to become a Christian, that's, that's part of what we were doing, is we were consecrating our hearts and our lives to Jesus alone. We were recognizing that in him was our true salvation. And because he had given his whole life for us, we too wanted to give our whole lives back to him. But if you've been a Christian for very long, probably more than a week, you know that that consecration process isn't just a one-time deal because we, we struggle to, to, to not get distracted from, from that priority relationship in our lives, right? There are so many things in our lives that pull us away from that focus on God, to, from having the, that trust in Him as our true source of, of life and power, we also need to continue to concentrate, consecrate ourselves to God. Now, it's not a, a salvation thing, right? We don't lose our salvation and we have to go back and, and regain our salvation. It's really more of a, of a sanctification thing, this idea that the journey with Christ is a lifelong journey where God continues to build his character into us, to transform us from who we were to who he is uh, building us to become. And in order to do that, we have to remember and re-consecrate ourselves periodically to God's priority and purposes in our lives. The second thing that we look at in the story is that it's not just that the Israelites go, but if you think about it, it's how they go as well. It's not just that the Israelites go, but it's how they go as well. The first thing that we recognize is they didn't choose to go. They go at God's command, right? God commanded them to go. And the second thing is that when they go, they don't know where they're going. They have to follow God. So it's not just that they go, but it's that they go at God's command and that they follow God as they go. That's really the meaning of the Ark of the Covenant. That's why that element of the story is so important for us. Like we said, it was basically just a gold-lined wooden box. In and of itself, it had no miraculous or supernatural power. It represented the supernatural presence of God's power with his people. It represented the, the footstool of God's throne on earth. The, the top lid of the, of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. And that's where, where God said his presence would, would reside as the people followed this Ark. And, and we know, for, you look at the story through the Old Testament, that this Ark had a long and storied history. It was constructed at Mount Sinai by an artisan named Bezazel. It was placed inside the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, as they traveled through the wilderness. It was the place where God... God spoke to Moses and gave his word to his people. It held the tablets of the law that were written by God on stone tablets. It guided people through the, through the wilderness as they walked. Ultimately, we know it, it resided in Solomon's temple when he was finally able to build a temple. But years later, the prophet Jeremiah prophesied that after the people went into exile in Babylon, when they returned, he said that the ark will not be remembered, it will not be missed, and it will not be remade. And mysteriously, somewhere along the way, the ark vanished, and his prophecy has come true. Nobody has seen it since then. 
except, of course, in movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? <laughs> it's, it's now a great prop for, uh, you know, action-adventure movies. Act, action movies. This is going to be a rough day, isn't it? But you see, the important thing is that for Israel, they associated the ark of God with the presence of God and the power of God in their midst. And as they followed the ark, they were following a visible, tangible reminder that the invisible, almighty God, the creator of the universe, was the one who was calling them and the one that was leading them. They were following God. See, when God said, follow the ark, he was really saying, follow me. God led the way. God was saying, trust in me. Trust in my presence with you. And the people did. See, it's not just that the Israelites go, but it's how they go as well. Max Lucado, in his book, Glory Days, writes that when the priests dipped their feet in the water, it was the smallest of steps. But with God, the smallest step of faith can activate the mightiest of miracles. As they touched the water, the flow was cut off. And, and scholars suggest that the town where it says that the waters were cut off at was almost like 30 miles upriver. I mean, you probably needed a pretty big swath to get all those people to be able to cross on dry ground, right? But think about what this story is telling us. If, if you read the story in detail, and we'll, we'll, we saw this in the last part of chapter 4, uh, the 10th day of the first month means it was springtime. Right? It was around the time of Passover, and the, thing, the spring thaw was occurring so that this, the river had been fl- uh, at flood stage. It had swelled to flood stage. Now, isn't it just like God to ask them to cross the river at the one time of year when it would be the most impossible, the most difficult river to cross with the fastest flowing water? You've got to be kidding me, God. Why couldn't we have crossed in you know, the fall when, when all, it was just a, a little trickle? But now it's this raging river, and you're going to ask us to cross now? What better time for God, though, to demonstrate his divine power and provision than by asking his people to do something that seemingly is humanly impossible, but to trust in his power at work in their lives. What about you and me this morning? In this season of your life, in this uh, part of the journey that you're walking with the Lord, is there something that God might be inviting you to do that might seem completely impossible? Is there some dream that you've had that that you've maybe kind of given up on because you feel like there's no way that I could ever achieve or accomplish that in my life? Is there there some relationship that, that you are a part of that just seems too far gone and too broken that it can never be redeemed or recovered? Maybe a part of crossing the Jordan River for you or for me in this season is that God wants to reignite our imagination of what might be possible in your life if you put your trust in his power. If you not only look to his presence in your life, but you follow him where he's wanting you to go. You see, in order to have faith for the future, God invites us to remember what he's done in the past. That's the meaning of the 12 stones, the the third element in the story. And the third aspect of the story is that we too need to remember what God has done in order to have faith for the future. See, in order to survive in enemy, enemy territory, one of the first steps is we have to remember where God has blessed us and shown up in the past. See, the 12 stones are really a sign 
and a memorial for God's people. They're a sign to the, the people now that, that God is present and God is active and that they should celebrate God's work in their lives. They can remember what God has just done in a very present and an immediate way, and that should give them a greater sense of faith and hope. But we also see here in these 12 stones God's heart for a truly intergenerational community. You see, God's heart isn't just for those people who are crossing the river today, but it's for generation after generation that these stones are a memorial to remind not only the people who experienced it, but the people who will hear the stories later, who will hear the testimony of, of how God showed up in the midst of difficult circumstances, made a way through a raging river, and led these people to safety on the other side. Gilgal was the site of their first encampment in the land of Canaan, and it wasn't far from the city of Jericho where surely they could see these massive walls and know that, that battles were ahead. But it was also the place where they first placed these 12 stones of remembrance. In verses 22 and 24 of chapter 4, it says, God told Joshua, tell them, Tell children, uh, when, when a child comes and says, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until it had crossed over. The Lord your God did the, to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until you had crossed over. And verse 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. See, the 12 stones of remembrance link both events of the Red Sea and the Jordan crossing as a part of the pattern of life and faith for God's people. The, they mark both of these events as historical turning points in the people's relationship with God. It links the current generation's experience of God with the previous generation's experience of God, and the stories of faith become personal stories of where God showed up for them. Both crossings dramatically display the reality of God's presence and power with his people. And it's a reminder that when they see those stones, when they look upon those visual, tangible reminders, they're supposed to remember God's activity in their lives, and that should give them faith and hope in their lives. So why is remembering important? I mean, if you're like me, we, we struggle with memory, don't we? I mean, how easy is it for us to forget what God has done in the past? One commentator says, we all live enslaved under the modern pharaoh known as the tyranny of the urgent. We spend our days like a firefighter answering one alarm bell after another, leaving some of life's really important matters undone. The constant data bombardment and tyranny of the urgent leaves us with an uneasy feeling that our minds are hopelessly cluttered. Sometimes the events of life, the busyness of life, the worries and the fears and the anxieties of life can crowd into our minds and our hearts so much that we forget that God is a good God, that God has our best interests at heart, that God, like we sang today, works all things for our good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God can transform the, the brokenness of our lives to become a truly promised land life. But it's easy to forget when we focus on the circumstances, when we focus on what's happening in the moment. And so it's important that we have the opportunities to go back and remember that God has demonstrated over and over again 
that he is a faithful God, that he's a loving God, and that he is here with us today. Joshua put 12 stones up at Gilgal so the future generations would remember what had happened there. And as Christians, one of the the most important events that we too need to remember is that Christ gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that God gave his own son so that we could be forgiven and we could be in relationship with him. The cross marks the crucial event that brought humanity salvation. And it comprises our counterpart to the Red Sea and the Jordan River. If you think about it, Jesus did what we could not do. He crossed the impossible divide. He conquered death itself so that we don't need to be afraid of that ultimate enemy, death. Like Joshua, our Joshua, our Yeshua, took pains to ensure that his own disciples, his own followers also would remember what he had done for them. Not only do we look at the cross of Christ as our turning point moment, but we understand that the 12 disciples who were with Jesus on that night when he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, took bread and he broke it and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I am about to do for you. In the same way, Paul tells us he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, there's a reason why God wants us to remember what he's done for us, because what he has done should give us faith and hope no matter what we're going through today. And you think about those 12 disciples who sat around the table that ate that bread and drank that cup. They became living Stones of remembrance, like Peter says in First Peter, right? You all, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a spiritual temple for God. And Paul says that when we too eat this bread and we drink that cup of communion, we proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes again. We proclaim that it is that action in history, it was God's provision for us through Christ that is the anchor for our souls, that is the the point of remembrance that we go back to to hang our hat on when life gets difficult, when times get tough. It is the red rope salvation hope that we tie our lives to. We also remember those turning points in our own history, in our own personal story, Like Maybe for you, it's when you first came to faith in Christ and the the amazing, awe-inspiring experience of realizing that, that God is real and that God loves you and that salvation is a free gift and that when you say yes to Jesus, you're transformed from the inside out. If you go back and you remember what it was like to, to experience the presence and the power of God in your life for the first time that, that invigorates you with hope and excitement because it reminds you of that first love that you had with God. Or maybe for you, you can go back and remember a time when God worked an amazing healing experience in your life, either physically or in your family or a relationship or even just in your own heart, overcoming some addiction or some past behavior. And you can go back and you can remember how God showed up in your darkest hour and he saved you at that point and that can give you hope to face whatever you're facing today. How he guided you through a difficult season or walked with you through the valley of the shadow of death, giving you comfort and peace 
even in the midst of the loss of a loved one or the face of some other tragedy in your life. Now, all of these experiences, these turning point moments in our lives may not have some obvious supernatural element like the the parting of an entire river, but they mark a divinely inspired turning point in your life and in my life that have the clear touch of God upon them, and they become remembrance stones for us where we can remember to be encouraged in our faith when we face difficult things today. What are the stones of remembrance in your life? If you, if you had to, to think of what those turning points were and you could think of a, a, a symbol or an object that, that might be a remembrance stone, what, what might that be for you? One of the, the authors that I was reading was suggesting, you know what, it could be really helpful for us to actually do this same kind of thing. When you have an experience in life, get an object that reminds you of that and, and put it on your, your desk or keep it on a bookshelf at home where when you see it, it reminds you to remember God's faithfulness to you. Uh, one, one author told a story about how he knew a guy who had a, a stack of stones, kind of like they did, and, and it was kind of this odd but very intentionally built, you know, construction of stones, and whenever people would come over to the house, they'd say, what is that? And it became an opportunity for him to tell his story about how God showed up and, and was faithful and blessed him in his life. Uh, one of the remembrance stones that, that I had years back, I, I don't have it anymore, but it was back uh, doing ministry when I was there in Phoenix, and I was recognizing that uh, when I was trying to struggle through worry and fear and anxiety and feeling pressure uh, of life and work, that, that God, through His Spirit, said, uh, you need to think about that worry and that fear and anxiety as like a spiritual thirst, when you start to feel anxious and upset, it means you're, you're spiritually thirsty for what the water that only I can give. And so I want you to, when you start to recognize that you're feeling a little bit out of control with, with worry and stress, to have that be a reminder to turn and drink from my spirit. Get into my word and take time to get away and connect with me. And so what I did is I, I took a water bottle and I made my own label I just on paper and I put it around and I, on, with Sharpie I said, thirsty question mark and I put that water bottle on the bookshelf in my office and whenever I would look up and see that water bottle I was reminded that God had a spiritual thirst a spiritual water that would quench that deep thirst that would give me that confidence and the hope to overcome whatever I was worried about whatever anxiety I had whatever I fear was struggling with what you might you be able to put into your life. Maybe it's hanging something from the mirror in your car or putting something on the mirror in your bathroom when you're getting ready in the morning. A visual, tangible reminder that God is present and that God can help and wants to help like no one else can. See, the Ark of the Covenant was a tangible sign of God's presence among his people. And the stones of remembrance were a reminder not only for them, but for generations to come. Through Christ and through the gift of his spirit, when the church gathers as God's people in this place, we know that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, joins us as a part of this community. And that we together form a kind of spiritual temple in which he inhabits through his spirit. God's presence and God's power are now abiding in us. In some ways, you could say that we are now God's people We are the ark that contain and carry the presence of God with us, and we too are the stones of remembrance, 
as we tell our stories and we share the good news message of what God has done for each one of us. And it reminds us that as Christians, we are not powerless in this world. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. And together with all the saints, God can do amazing things in your life and in my life if we're willing to put our trust in him and to follow him. Max Lucado says, promised land people believe this. They trust in God's hold on them more than they trust in their hold on God. I love that. Promised land people believe this. They trust in God's hold on them more than they trust in their hold on God. What are you holding on to this morning? Maybe God is inviting you to let go of false gods and false hopes and to put your trust truly in him again. We're reminded that God did for the people of Israel what they could not do on their own. What might God be inviting you to do that is not within your own power, but might be something that God is calling you to do in this season ahead? The secret for survival in enemy territory, consecrate yourself to God. Set God apart in your heart as your God Recognize that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and hope can only come through him. Number two, be willing to follow God where he leads. Allow him to be the leader. Allow him to be the shepherd. We are simply the sheep. And number three, remember God's faithfulness in the places that he has shown up in your life. One of the things that I wanted to give us an opportunity to do today is we have these River stones, we can pretend that uh, God has parted the waters of the Jordan River this morning. And we now see the rocks of the dry ground. And I want to invite the worship team to come and join me in front. And as we sing our final song, I want to invite you to prayerfully reflect on what God might be speaking to you this morning through this story and through his word. And then when you're ready, if you so desire, come and pick up one of the stones from the river bottom. And carry it forward to make an altar of remembrance for us as a faith community here on the platform. And have this be your moment of reconsecrating your heart to God this morning. Of reaffirming your commitment to follow him where he leads. And as your desire to continually remember his faithfulness and his love in your life. And after the service is over, if you'd like, on your way out, we have some smaller stones that you can feel free to take one with you if you want to keep it in your pocket. Set it on your counter in your bathroom as your stone of remembrance through the week. But let us focus on the Spirit of God this morning and how He is inviting us to, in faith, take that step and to cross the river.